0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Are you ready for this series? Are you sure? Okay. As announced, today we're going to begin a brand new 13-part summer series entitled Rise and build. And yes, we took a page out of last year's book when we studied the Sermon on the Mount for the entire summer. We spent 13 weeks uh, looking at the greatest sermon ever preached. And since we got a tremendous amount of positive feedback and support, we decided to repeat that same concept and do it again this year. You know, as they say, never change a winning hand. So starting today and continuing throughout uh, the entire summer, ending the last week in August, we're going to be repeating this Rise and Build theme over and over again. And the majority of the study will come from two Old Testament books, Ezra and Nehemiah. Can I get you to say that? Ezra and Nehemiah. I know you've been wanting to do that ever since we announced the start of this series. Now, unlike the Summer on the Mount series, Rise and Build will not be a verse-by-verse expository teaching. However, by end of summer, I'm sure you're gonna have a pretty good idea of what was happening during this very pivotal time in Israel's history. So, let's get started. Part one, uh, recorded in the Old Testament, Some 20 to 25 years before it happened, Jeremiah the prophet predicted the destruction of Jerusalem. And he did that to the total disbelief of the entire nation of Israel. They did not believe the warning that the prophet had given to them. Here's the prophecy, Jeremiah 25, beginning with verse 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants. I will banish from Israel the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones, which are those who sit and sing, and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations, including including Israel, will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. All right, here Jeremiah tells the people they're going into captivity, and they're going to live in a strange land, serve a foreign king for 70 years. And please understand that this judgment came after the people had basically turned their backs on God. They disregarded His laws and commands. They disrespected the Sabbath day, uh, which God had appealed to them to make holy. And they openly served false idols and false gods. And the Lord throughout the generations made countless and repeated efforts to get the people back serving Him. Repeatedly He appealed to them to return to him. But they refused to listen to his word, they rejected his word, and they would not repent. And so finally, after a long line of prophets, prophet after prophet, warning after warning that God had sent to the people, it was Jeremiah's turn. And oftentimes we read that Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. And the reason why is because he spent a good deal of his time in ministry interceding on behalf of the people. He had a heart for God, but he had a heart for the people as well. And so delivering these words of judgment, it it wasn't easy for Jeremiah. But God gave him this word to speak, and he spoke it. And at God's promptings, Jeremiah prophesied the coming captivity. And because God's people hardened their hearts refused to turn back to him, this harsh judgment became a reality. Now, the Bible tells us there were three different exiles into Babylon. The initial deportation took place in northern Israel in 605 B.C. That was when the first group was dispelled. The second wave happened eight years later in Judah in 597 B.C. And then finally, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, king of of Babylon, marched on Jerusalem, and if you can believe this, he completely demolished Solomon's temple, and he burned the holy city to the ground. That's what the Bible tells us. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the most beautiful venue on earth. And after being forcibly dispelled from their homeland, taken from their cities and from their places of uh, of community and where, where they lived for years and years, God's covenant people, his chosen people were once again reduced to bondage and oppression. And they lived that way for 70 years. 70 years in captivity. And check it out. The Babylonian captivity set the stage for a miraculous restoration and rebuilding of the Lord's temple, all of which is spelled out in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It was a powerful and miraculous thing that God did among his people. And it came out of this time of bondage and captivity in Babylon. And there's a lot to this story. And over the next 13 weeks, what we're hoping to do is to break it down and to sort it out. All right. Ezra, one of the main characters in our story, was a scribe. He was a priest and a scribe. And in the New Testament, in Jesus' day, the scribes got a pretty bad rap. Oftentimes, you'll read in the New Testament, they were lumped together with the Pharisees. So you'll read the phrase, the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees are depicted as being uh, legalistic and judgmental and hypocritical. Oftentimes, they opposed Jesus publicly. They did not pay attention to his teachings. And the, the, the scripture tells us that there was a conflict between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament. However, in the Old Testament, the scribe was a very honorable position. The scribes took care of the Word of God. They copied uh, each one of the letters uh, piece by piece. It was a very detailed and demanding job. The scribes also, they were experts in the law of Moses. They interpreted the law, and whatever they said was the final say. They had the final authority when it came to the law of Moses. And so Ezra, he's one of the most notable scribes, if not the most notable scribe, in the entire Bible. He took his assignment seriously. He loved the Word of God. He handled it with, with care and in high esteem. In fact, Ezra is the Luke of the Old Testament to make sure that we got the story right. So the book of Ezra opens up, you know, chapter 1, with a king by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, making a surprise proclamation. Cyrus decreed that all of the Israelites who had been living in Babylon for the last 70 years, they were now free to return home and to go rebuild their towns and their villages, to rebuild their, their cities and to rebuild their temple. And please understand at this point, Babylon is not in power. It's 70 years after the fact. And so the media Persians now are the dominating force in the world. And so after Cyrus gave this decree or this royal edict, God raised up a man by the name of Zerubbabel to lead the way. And Zerubbabel, he rallied that first group of exiles or captives going back to Jerusalem. And he was the one that was put in charge of the rebuilding project, the temple rebuilding project. But make no mistake, Ezra felt the stirring of God in his heart as well. Even though he wasn't with the first group that went back to Jerusalem, he just knew in his heart that something good was about to happen. He knew that God's hand was upon the people. He had read the prophecies. He had listened to what the word of God had to say. And he was convinced that revival was on the horizon. And Ezra knew that God was calling him to be a significant part of the restoration. So he had opened his heart to God and he was ready for the Lord to use him. Okay, let's look at Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. In the first year of King of Cyrus, King of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy He had given through Jeremiah. He, God, stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout His kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord. Let's read that one more time. Uh, Cyrus is saying to the entire kingdom, his entire kingdom. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild the temple. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Okay, in the year 538 B.C., so some 48 to 50 years after Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem, after he completely destroyed all of the buildings, including the temple, after he burned the city to the ground, one day King Cyrus wakes up, jumps out of bed, and he says, you know what? I think I'm going to free God's people. You know, I've had it on my heart a little bit. It's been in my mind. I think today's the day that I am going to send out a proclamation allowing the people of God to return to their homeland. How does something like that happen? I mean, Cyrus is not a believer. He, he, he doesn't follow the Jehovah God, even though he says... That the Lord is the Lord of heaven and earth. He, he makes that declaration, but he's not someone who understands Judaism at all. How does he make that kind of declaration? How does he let the people go? Well, the scripture that we just read said God stirred his heart. God was orchestrating the whole thing. In fact, a hundred years before Cyrus, 150 years before Cyrus was born. God calls him by name in the scripture. He does that in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44. And in Isaiah forty-four twenty-four, 24, here's what it says. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer and creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me? God says, when I made the earth. When I say of Cyrus, he's talking about King Cyrus, He is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. Cyrus will say, restore the temple. In other words, before he was born, 150 years before Cyrus was on the earth, God called him by name, had it written in the book of Isaiah, he predicted what Cyrus would do, and Cyrus did it. He did exactly what the Lord had prompted him to do. And what he said to God's people, just out of the clear blue, no one expected it. It came suddenly. They weren't leading up to it. It happened one day. So they're slaves in Babylon on Tuesday, and on Wednesday they're free. And Cyrus says, okay, I want you to go back. Anyone who has it in their heart, return to the place of your inheritance, Go back to Israel. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to your homeland and build your relationship with God. Build your relationships with each other. Be called the people of God again. You've been in captivity for so long. You've been away from your worship. You've been away from all of the celebrations and all the festivals. Cyrus says to people, Go back and redo all of that. Learn that all over again and become the people of God. Now, Ezra chapter 2 lists all of the families and all the people who responded to uh, the proclamation and went back to Israel. They were favorable when they heard what Cyrus was saying. They responded favorably. They wanted to go back. It's, they're, they're all listed in Ezra chapter 2. I'm not going to read all the names. But let's look at a couple of verses. Beginning with verse 64. Ezra 2, 64 and 65. So a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah. In addition, 7,337 servants and 200 singers, both men and women, the whole company numbered just under 50,000 people. 49,897 people that the Bible specifically tells us about. gives us the number: 49,897. You know, according to historians and Bible scholars, there were a million people, a million Jews, living in Babylon at the time. A million. 50,000 returned to Jerusalem. I, I, I'm being somewhat methodical and pausing on purpose because I, I'm, I'm wanting you to think about some of these things. I'm wanting you to get them in your mind. There were a million people that had been forcibly removed from their homeland, dispelled from all of their religious activities, all the things that they knew to do from the time that they were born, the relationship that they had with God, the the worship that they experienced in the temple. A million people, they're living in Babylon. They've been there for 70 years, three different exiles, and 50,000 of them return. 5% of the people. 5% of the people responded to the king and they went back to the land of their inheritance. Why so few? Any idea? Because they got comfortable in Babylon. I hope you hear that statement. That is the most dramatic statement I'll make all morning. The people of God stayed in their place of captivity and did not go back to their homeland because they got comfortable in Babylon. Too comfortable to want to go back. Comfortable with the culture, comfortable with their lifestyle, comfortable with how they had been living. And the majority of God's people, they didn't understand, they didn't discern, maybe they didn't even care that not only was the temple of the Lord in ruins, but their faith was on the verge of bankruptcy. Didn't even know it. You know, I'm sorry to say to you this morning that I feel as though history is repeating itself. And the same can be true, and the same can be said about the church today. That the church has not discerned The spiritual climate that we're in, it's a declining climate. It's almost as if we have chosen bondage over freedom. And the prophetic word of the Lord that is being spoken to the church today, I hear it very clearly, is rise and build. Rise and build. This is what God is saying to us. This is where this series is coming from. We didn't just all of a sudden decide to do this. This is something that has started like at the beginning of the year when we had that series and that prayer time, a prayer and fasting time, and we went after the one thing. Remember I told you that I was going to give you the formula for making 2023 the absolute best year of your life and then went on to tell you we have to make God our one thing? We have to orchestrate our lives and and set up our lives so that we would put him first. Out of that whole concept has come this idea that it's time for the church to rise and build. And that doesn't mean that we're gonna get involved in some kind of a building project. You know, we have no plans to, get it, to, to do something with brick and mortar. No, our desire for this summer is to rise up from our complacency, to rise up from our comfort zone to rise up from the culture that we're, at, that we're in right now, to strengthen our faith and to build the church. This is what we're after. It's to see the state of our faith. For so many people, it's on the verge of bankruptcy. And God is calling out to us, not with judgment, but with a plea, with an appeal to rise up and build, to rise up. And to allow your faith to be stronger than ever has before. You know, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why would Jesus say something like that? We knew he was going to build the church, but why would he say the gates of hell will not, I tell you, they will not prevail against you. Why? Because he knew how hard Satan and all of hell was going to try. And don't look now. But they're making a pretty good dent. They're doing some damage. And it's time for the church to roll up our sleeves. It's the only way that we're going to advance the kingdom of God. It's the only way that we're going to see the church moving forward. We have to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I appeal to you, do not be like the people of God of old that just turn the other way and not listen to what God is saying to us. Now, there are some things on my heart this morning. I've been holding on to them for a while. I'd like to just be transparent and open with you. Would you let me do that this morning? Could I do that? Maybe I'll dismiss half of you and then the other half can just... I want to see this place filled. I want to see the church buzzing again. I'm talking about every seat filled with people seeking the Lord, pursuing God. I have that desire, and I think that it can happen. But what has to happen is the people of God have to return from their own captivity, and I'm talking about a mindset of complacency. We have to be willing to make some changes. We have to be willing to move out of our comfort zone. Over and over again, I'm hearing about good Christian people who are staying home Not even attending church anymore. And for the moment, I'm not talking about the people who are watching service online. That's not who I'm talking about. Heavy on my heart are the statistically hundreds and even thousands of people who have walked away from the church. They simply don't even come to church anymore. They don't find the value in attending church. I want to say this as honestly and sincerely as I possibly can, please listen to me. If you've been hurt, and I know that you're here, so this probably doesn't apply to you, but I'm getting it on tape. If you've been offended by this church or some other church, if you've not had your expectations met, if you've been let down, I'm sorry. I mean that as genuinely as I can. I'm sorry. The church is not perfect. We don't do everything perfectly. Pastors and leaders and elders, they're not perfect. But I'm going to tell you this too the Lord is calling your name. Amen. So he's calling your name. Amen. The Lord is saying to you it's time to return to the place of your inheritance. It's time to return to the place of knowing him intimately and and getting involved in a relationship with him, one that's alive. It's time, friends, it's high time for us to once again pursue God with all of our hearts, to renew our passion for the Lord, our passion for prayer, our passion for his word, our passion for his presence. And check it out our passion for the lost. To get that burden for the lost again. It's time for us to understand what's at stake today. As the enemy continues to blind the hearts and minds of unbelievers. You know, we all have family members and friends. And you're going to be with your families probably more so in the next couple months than you usually are. A lot of activities going on graduation parties weddings things take place uh, in june anniversary parties we have family members and friends who are not saved they don't know the lord we have uh, loved ones and neighbors and coworkers who are destined for a godless eternity unless they come to the truth that should bother us that thought alone should pierce our hearts and our souls to know that we have people around us in our world who desperately need to hear the truth. All of what we were singing about today, that Jesus died for our sins, he died that we might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was working with Adriana, my granddaughter, and so happy to have her here uh, with us, visiting her family. We were working on a Bible homework project, and for this particular project, Adriana had to uh, build the three missionary journeys of Paul on Google Earth. So she couldn't copy and paste. She couldn't go to another source and find all the way he traveled. So he, and then copy him onto her paper. No, she had to create it step by step. She had to go from place to place and she had to make this happen on Google Earth. And so as we were following his journeys and trying to decide where he went, we noticed that during his second missionary journey, he traveled from Antioch to Troas without doing much in between. That's a distance of 800 miles. So 800 miles of Nothing. Now, it's 800 miles from here to Sioux Falls, just about. A little bit more. It takes me 14 hours to get there by car. When we did the calculations, we we looked at each other, we thought, what in the world would possess Paul to travel all that distance, on foot or on beast, just to get to Troas? And we quickly concluded his passion for the lost. Everything he did, it was with an evangelistic thought in his mind. People who were far from God wrecked him, broke his heart, and the more he matured in the Lord, the greater his passion for the lost became. I mean, he would go way out of his way to preach the gospel message to one person. He would be stoned. He would be abused. Read about some of the things that happened to him. Why? Because of his defense of the gospel message. His willingness to share the gospel with people who had never heard it before. You know, sometimes for us, it's the other way around. The more we're saved, the less we're concerned about the unsaved. And I understand how that happens sometimes. We spend a lot of time with our church family. We're in Bible studies and life groups, and we're doing life with one another. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we can't lose sight of the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples. It's part of our responsibility is to make sure that other people are hearing the gospel message. And that's who I want to fill this place with, people who need the Lord, desperate, broken people who are compelled to get down on their knees and confess the Lordship of Jesus, Jesus, just like we did at one time in our life. That's what we need. I pray community Christian church won't become like so many other churches in this area. Churches who at one time were thriving, they were growing, they were building the kingdom of God, they were getting people saved, they were doing a lot of great things for the church, but now not much is happening. It's so heartbreaking to me to see churches just a shell of who they used to be with, with a handful of people. Not much or, or, or little to no ongoing vision, no progressive vision. You know, by the grace of God, I feel like I have more vision and more expectation today than ever before in my life. I just believe, like Ezra, that something big is on the horizon. God is getting ready to move among the people. There's going to be revivals coming to the land. And I want to be a significant part of what God is doing. I trust that's your desire as well. I know a couple of months ago I mentioned that sometime next year I'm going to be stepping down as the senior pastor. But it's not because I've lost my vision or my passion. It's because I'm old now. And I get tired physically. I don't hesitate to tell you, and I'm not ashamed to admit, I I, I don't have the stamina and the strength I had 25 years ago. But Pastor Chris and our young staff, they do. They're ready. They're focused. They're fired up. They're in the prime of their lives. And God is going to use them to take Community Christian Church into the future and to the next phase of ministry. Together, we have tremendous potential. In the past, God has graced us. He's graced us to build this beautiful sanctuary, this beautiful building. He's graced us to have the facilities that we need here. And in these days, I believe he's gracing us to fill him. Amen. To not lose sight of what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. You're going to get 13 weeks of this. Rise and build. Rise and build. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, as challenging as this message and the future messages might be. I'm asking, Lord, that we would have hearts to hear, hearts to understand, ears to hear, eyes to see, what it is that the Spirit is saying, not only to the church, but to us. I'm praying, Lord, that you would do something, not only here at Community Christian Church, but throughout the churches of the world, that the church of Jesus Christ could get to the next level, Lord. That during this summer, as we embark upon this Rise and Build series, Lord, you will do something in our hearts. You'll trigger something that we would be willing, Lord, to hear what it is that you're saying, and not only hear it, but respond. I pray that you would deliver us from the tragedy, Lord, of the people of God of old, where you sent them prophet after prophet. Some they stoned, some they killed. Some they put in prison for the rest of their lives. Lord, I pray we wouldn't do that. I pray we wouldn't dismiss what it is that you're saying, that we would have the ability to hear. I thank you, Lord, for how you've blessed us in this country. I thank you for all the provision that you've given to us. You want us to enjoy it, Lord. But it's done understanding that our true obligation and responsibility is to serve you with all of our hearts. I pray the passion level of Community Christian Church would rise this summer that Lord our determination to move out of our place of complacency and comfort and bring us into the land of our inheritance would be so high Lord you would do it person to person we pray these things in the name of Jesus Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it was Paul the apostle who said, what I've received from the Lord I pass along to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper had ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Paul wrote that out in his letter to the Corinthians, the first letter. But for those of you who are Bible scholars and you understand the word of God, you know that Paul wasn't there. He's passing along instructions as to what happened when Jesus instituted the communion service, but he wasn't there. He tells us how he could do it. He said he received it from the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ revealed it to him. It was as if he was there. So what Jesus revealed to him, what Jesus showed him, it was almost like he was sitting there with the disciples on the night that Jesus instituted the communion and he was right there, he had a front row seat and he heard every word and he responded to everything that Jesus was saying and he did. That's what I want for you this morning. That's what we've been praying about for the last couple of weeks. Doesn't matter how many communion services That you've been a part of, how many times you've held the bread and the cup in your hand, how many times you've gone through the motions of communion. I'm praying that this one would be personal for you. That when Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you, you would know it was for you. Not the person next to you, not just the pastor or leaders of the church not your goody-two-shoe friend that never does anything wrong. You. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then when Jesus took the cup, I want you to imagine and envision him sitting right across from you, speaking directly into your eyes. This cup, uh, this covenant cup, I'm establishing in my blood for you. Not for the person next to you, not for the pastor or leaders, not goody-two-shoes friends of yours that never do anything wrong for you. I did it for you. And after you enter into that intimate relationship with Jesus, and you can picture yourself there, just like Paul did. He wasn't there, but he it's like he was there. Once you can do that, when you can see Jesus reaching out to you, then I want you to hear him call your name. Because he is. He called Cyrus's name. He, he wrote about it in Isaiah 150 years before he was born. He called Ezra's name. He called Nehemiah's name, he's calling your name today. He's calling your name. And because he's so intimately concerned about you, he's asking you to take one step toward him today. That's it, just one baby step. If you're far away from God, if you're not in the place that you know you should be, he's just asking you to take one step. Maybe you're not going to get all the way to where you need to be, but just take one step. Move in the right direction today. If you're as close to God, you've never been this close, take one step closer. This is what God is asking us to do. This is what it means when we say rise up, rise and build. It just means we're going after God. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for the finished work of the cross. We thank you for all of what Darlene was trying to communicate to us what she did communicate to us during the worship time when she fixated for a moment on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the cross and all that it means to us. You said every time we hold the cup and the bread in our hands, every time we receive these emblems, we declare your death on the cross. Lord, we're not going to argue with that. I think to a person, we would all agree that you died. You died for the sins of the world. We we talk about a lot of things. We debate. We have difference of opinion when it comes to some of the non-essential doctrines, but I, I think we would all agree that you died there, Lord, for our redemption. We pray that prayer for the people in our world that don't know you. Lord, we pray that you would do the same thing to our hearts that you did with Paul's. He went great distances. He traveled the world over just to get the gospel to people. We all have a testimony. You've moved in all of our lives, Lord. Help us to get out of our place of comfort and return to the land of our inheritance. Let's receive the bread and the cup this morning. You know, when I read the story of Lazarus, the resurrection in John chapter 11, I wondered what it must have been like for the people when they witnessed Lazarus come out of the grave. I mean, can you imagine? Probably they never witnessed anything like that before. But when you think about that, how do you think Lazarus felt? (laughs) We should know how Lazarus felt. Because as believers, we've all felt the very same thing, going from death to life. And it doesn't mention it in the scripture at all. We don't hear at all anything else about Lazarus after that. But I'll bet he had a testimony. Yeah. And I'll bet he shared it to the day he died. And we have that testimony the world needs to hear. So we got to get it right. And then we will just got to get it out. So thank you so much for coming. Don't forget next week, part two, Pastor Chris, all summer long, rise and build. God bless you.